This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. You and I, we have faced very similar challenges during our life. We know what it feels like to question our purpose, why we're here. We know what it feels like to be working long and hard, but deep down wonder if we're doing the right thing for us. And we definitely know what it feels like to look up at the end of the day, know we were busy, question what we got done, and deep down realize we're actually sacrificing the things that matter most to us, whether it be our family, whether it be our spirituality, whether it be our health. The reason that we are sharing this with you is that today we are going to have a conversation with someone who has gone through these challenges, but in a unique way. He's had a career of over 20 years with the U.S. Army, specifically in Special Forces as a Green Beret. He had years as a member on a team, going out and doing the actual ops that we think about when we think of Special Forces. Fast forward to where he is today. He is the Command Sergeant Major within the army. So if you think of the commander as like the CEO of the group, he is like the COO. The commander sets the vision, the command start major, their job is to make sure that the mission turns into purpose and production through operations. All that to say, he's a very senior leader within the U.S. Special Forces. And we're going to have a conversation about how he came across the one thing, how he struggled to identify his purpose beyond being on the teams, what it looked like to prioritize when everything was a priority and when deep down you don't think you can say no because it's the military, you're supposed to say yes, and how you go about striking better counterbalance and not neglecting your family or your health when the job can just consume so much. Our hope as you listen to this episode is that you come out with one thing, one thing that you can put into practice in the next week that will make everything else easier or unnecessary. With that, let's get into this conversation with Command Sergeant Major Lee Strong. When did you first come across the one thing? First came across the one thing. I was uh, about 15 years into my career. I was transitioning from uh, you know, an operational job on a team into a uh, unfamiliar territory for me into a, a staff position. Um, so as I was getting ready to take on this staff job, it was my first staff job in the army. Um, I reached out to a friend of mine, a mentor of mine, and uh, I was expecting some really good advice from him. And he basically slid the book across the table and he said, read this book before you go into this position and it will make your life in this year easier. Simple. For all the people who are civilians out there, when you say operational on a team, what does that mean? So uh, the operational team is, is a, you know, obviously the army functions off operational elements that would go employ and do the job. Uh, and then they're typically, they are supported by a staff that gets them out the door to go do that job. Yeah. So it's, it's like you are, you are on the special forces team going and doing the actual ops in the field that you hear about or see about on TV. Correct. Got it. And you, getting to know you and your people, I've, I've started to learn how hard that switch is going from being on a team to going into an admin role where you're, you're in a building running the business of the army. Well, absolutely. I think, um, 
you know, your, your purpose on the team is simple, right? Like you've spent your whole life and career working towards that, that specific goal. Right. Um, and, and to be honest, I know I personally didn't think about life after the team. Um, and my identity and everything I was working towards was always for the team, for the mission. Um, and there was, and really there's a lot of preparation and courses and training to, to make sure you were prepared for that. Right. Cause the risks are extremely high. Uh, unfortunately there was really no preparation or training for what came after that. Um, so we assume that past performance or success on an operational element, you would then assume that this person will be successful at the staff job. And that's, that's not always the case right now. In some ways this sounds terrible, but life on the team was, was easier. Life in combat was almost easy because it was, it was very clear to me, uh, what, what was going on or what I needed to do or the things I needed to focus on. Uh, when I was removed from that, a uh, little less clarity there on what the priorities were and what my individual purpose was uh, in that role. Yeah, I mean, I, you'd said to me, combat was easy. The office is what was scary, which I think for a lot of people listening to this, they think it's the exact opposite. Why is it that going from combat to office, why was that such a scary transition? Again, lots of training or build up to prepare you for that. Um, the risks are extremely high. So you, you take it very, very serious. And so does the, the team around you, right? And you're, you're surrounded by high performing, uh, high performing people that, that really just get results. Right. Um, and then you transition to the office where, um, you know, the, the risks are a little bit lower. You're in a, you're in a climate controlled environment and you're, you're answering emails. Right. Uh, and then, uh, you know, with that, the, the amount of you're at that point, you're, you're helping teams, by the distribution or allocation of resources. Um, and then at times, uh, it gets hard. Yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit about purpose, knowing okay. why you're here, why you do what you do. Um, it's something that I think a lot of people listening to this struggle with. They may not have clarity of what their purpose or what their values are. When you're on a team, your purpose was a lot more clear. What did it look like for you to identify what your purpose was beyond the team. Yeah, uh, I'll be honest. It, it was a struggle. It was really about two years of a struggle for me because um, it was up to that point in my life and career, I was, I was by all accounts, I was extremely successful, right? Um, I was getting promoted. I was moving into all the right jobs. I was doing all the right things. So from, from the exterior, everybody looked at me, my peers, my friends, my colleagues, um, like I had my, man, he's got his stuff together, right? Um, and, uh, you know, again, I built my identity around, around being on the detachment or the team. So when I was kind of, and it, it's not a very, that transition, you know, it's coming, but you're almost like yanked right out of it. So, uh, you know, something I spent 15 years doing and literally one moment's notice, it was all over. I remember walking out of the team room for the last time and thinking to myself, man, I'll, I'll never be on the team again. And the next time I I'm in a team room which is essentially the, the team's office. It'll be with a visitor's badge, not as a member, right? Um, so to be honest, I, I struggled with my own identity. Um, and that, that struggle lasted about two years. And the struggle carried over to other aspects of my personal life, right? Uh, at that point, I was doing a lot of uh, a lot of training, a lot of deployments, and really touch and go, even in my own household, right? Um, but I thought, you know, I'm a good soldier. I'm also a good husband. I'm a good father, right? And uh, I started to realize the more time I spent at home and uh and then on top of that, I'm going now to a job that I'm less familiar with and less prepared with. I realized, um, you know, my identity was was almost in question, right? Who I was and my purpose in the what was life in the army if I'm not a team guy, right? Um, and 
you know, I, I don't know if I ever had that much time at, at home either, because now I wasn't deploying as much. Um, and again, I'm, I'm not getting that same sense of personal satisfaction driving to work every day either. So I took a lot of that stress home with me. Um, and it wasn't again until I, uh, you know, I realized talking to some good friends and mentors and kind of surrounding myself, uh, with, with really like-minded individuals that were just positive mental attitudes. Um, they kind of helped coach me through that transition and understand what my new purpose in the army is. I, I don't know if that question. Yeah. Yeah. So how did, how did not knowing your purpose beyond the teams affect your marriage and your relationship as a father? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you, you know, Again, you bring that stress home from work with you. So when you're happy, it's it's easy for people in your household to be happy, right? Um, but and I probably didn't realize it at the time. But my wife and my daughters were trying to be supportive and trying to help me through this transition. Um, but but they they also knew I was not happy, right? So um, I used to wake up in the morning and drive to work, just motivated and full of energy, ready to get the day started, right? And uh, I would drive home from work every day, just feeling fulfilled. And um, I mean. And I loved it. My family loved it. We built a, we built really our family around that and, and the team. Uh, but all of a sudden you, you wake up in the morning and you're dreading going to work or you come home from work, just feeling, uh, I wouldn't say feeling like a failure, but not getting that same sense of fulfillment coming home every day mm-hmm. and to, uh, to come into the door and, and, uh, your wife kind of picks up those little, those little keys or cues that something's not right, or you're not happy. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's hard for them, right? Uh, I mean, there there was days I remember I would almost pull into the driveway and kind of visualize walking through the back door and and how I'm gonna what am I gonna say to my wife and kids and ask me how my day was, um, you know? Because before I come home and I have great stories and and love to share my day. If my wife asked me how my day was going after that, uh, usually it usually turned into me dumping on her, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So what? What did it look like to actually get clarity on your purpose and your values beyond the team? Oh yeah. So, so that was, a. would say if I pulled out a couple of things, it was the first thing is, as I went through this journey of the one thing was identifying my, my core values. And then once I identified my core values, my, my purpose and the clarity was, was almost instantaneous. It made it very easy. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, the weird thing is that I was, you know, I'm roughly, mid to late thirties as I'm, as I'm struggling through this kind of transitional period in my life and my career. And I remember after reading the book, I was like, man, I, <laughs> I don't know my core values. And I'm like, how do I know my value proposition if I don't even know my core values? And, you know, I had values growing up and, you know, parents that, you know, they, they, they raised me into the man I am. Right. Um, but I couldn't identify those values and what those definitions were. Um, you know, and the army gave me a set of values that I, I kind of took on of my career, but I didn't have my own core values, things that I was going to live by the things I was going to pass on to my kids. And really at a moment when I'm faced with difficult decisions, what are the things that I'm going to say, Hey, does this violate my values, uh, or not? And it would make those decisions easy. So, you know, the first thing I had to do was, was identify my core values. What are they, by the way? So, uh, so you obviously, uh, you've, you've heard me kind of rattle them off once or twice, I think now, but, uh, so the four values being trust, discipline, accountability, and, uh, humility. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is factor has delicious ready to eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen 
They're chef-created, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Once you got clarity on those, you said understanding purpose was almost instantaneous. You fast forward, you're, you're in your office job, helping lead the business of special forces within the army. And you find yourself facing a whole different obstacle, which is the obstacle of all the competing priorities that are on your plate. What did that look like and how did you start to overcome it? So at this point, uh, again, I'm off, I'm off the operational element now in a very uncomfortable staff job. The, the staff job I was given was probably the most demanding staff job we can give to a non-commissioned officer. Uh, and so it's my first staff job ever, and it's also the hardest staff job that we could probably give an NCO. Um, so that job was every day was competing priorities. Um, I'm managing the allocation of resources across one of the largest uh, enterprises in the, in the military um, with a very broad mission. And every day you're getting these, you're getting these kind of uh, these different priorities kind of stacking up on you. And I remember I'd make a list and this list would just get longer and longer, which kind of fed to my own frustration is I was very good at accomplishing tasks. If you put something in front of me early in my career, I was going to attack that thing head on and I was going to be successful. Right. Um, now, all of a sudden I'm in this job where I'm attacking problems head on. I'm not successful. And on top of not accomplishing these tasks, more tasks are stacking up on top of those. Right. Um, so mm-hmm. I would leave work almost feeling like a failure every day, <laughs> um, which was very disappointing uh, at a personal level for me. Um, but then once I realized, okay, I need to get better at prioritization um, and then trust in empowering my, my subordinates. Right. Cause I can't possibly do everything. It made it very easy for me to, almost go through that 80, 20 rule, right? I would, I'd make that list and I would kind of survey from the periphery, all the different priorities and tasks that I had to do. And I would take a little bit of time as I look at those tasks. Okay. What are the, what are the critical tasks that I or I alone have to put my energy behind? And if it fails, I'm ultimately responsible for those tasks. Right. Um, so as I kind of cherry pick those, they become my important list. And I would narrow that down to, this is the most important thing, the thing that I'm going to get done today. And then as I looked at the rest of that list, there's probably a second list embedded in there. And those were the things that I was going to task out or delegate to people that were in my inner circle that I trusted that were reliable. And I knew they were going to accomplish those. Um, and if I had the time, I would then come in and touch and influence that at points. And then there was another list that was really just full of distraction, things that were not important, that uh, didn't matter in the long run. And I just had to learn how to accept I'm not going to accomplish those today. And this sounds terrible. And maybe I just don't care if they ever get accomplished because they're not important. Right. Um, and if I think of that in like football terms, cause, cause, uh, you know, I love to talk in metaphors, but, um, 
I guess those most important things were the things that Lee Strong's going to go score a touchdown on. And then those kind of things I delegated that I knew were important, but not as important. Those were things that, Hey, we're going to get some yardage in hopes that we further this for somebody else. And then those other things were just run down the clock uh, because they're not important. And we just don't want to pass the ball. Along that journey, you started to ask a different question, which is, are we effective or are we efficient? What did that mean for you? And what did it look like to drive that with your people? So, yeah, the, again, this is very much in a military context, right? But, um, you know, we are, as the American taxpayer looks at the military, the first question they always want to know when, when they employ us is, is were they effective, right? Because um, that's what we do. We protect and defend the nation, our way of life. And we do that at, at the expense of, uh, you know, U.S. tax dollars. Um, so we have to be effective. And um, what I've learned is that we are pretty much always effective. <laughs> we are not always efficient, right? Um, so as I kind of looked at into this new job and this new role um, with competing priorities, uh, you know, we were getting the job done in a, in a lot of ways because we were resourced really well. And in a lot of ways, we have some amazing people that are just, uh, you know, again, high-performing individuals that, uh, that are going to accomplish goals, right? So we were very, very effective, but there was along the way, I'm starting to realize like, we're just not efficient. We are doing this a lot of times at people's expense and their personal time, right? I had a great boss. He would tell me, uh, you know, anybody can do this job in 16 hours a day. Impress me by doing it in eight. And that's when I realized, oh, that's the difference between being effective and efficient. It's almost, you're coming to, if you're working 16 hours a day, you're, you're almost cheating, right? Um, so how, how can we be more efficient and what do we gain with those efficiencies, right? Well, we can reinvest that time into other things that are more important, reinvest it into ourselves. And really the, those efficiencies matter because you, know, you have to maintain this kind of optimal performance for people over the tenure of their lives and of their careers so that you know, when it is crunch time or a crisis occurs, whether it's at work or in their personal life, they actually have some gas in the tank that they can throttle down and go 100% into whatever that is, right? Whether it's taking care of a family member or, you know, packing your packing your bags and getting on a plane to deploy, we had to have those efficiencies because those efficiencies were going to come into play later. Yeah. Um, Along this journey, I know you had to redefine your relationship with failure. <laughs> How to fail without being a failure. What did that look like for you? That is a, that's a tough question, Jeff. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> Come everybody, on, you're supposed to say too easy. <laughs> everybody loves talking about their failures. <laughs> so yeah, again, um, up to this point in my career, uh, I am by all accounts very successful, right? Um, in a lot of ways, uh, in a lot of ways, I'm putting on a good show for people, right? Is uh, you know, I gotta, I gotta be the great soldier. I gotta be the great husband. I gotta be the great father. I gotta show up early to work and be motivated and, and pretend like I've got it all together. Right. Um, but again, as, as I transition to this, this whole new role, this role I'm uncomfortable with, uh, and I'm in no way prepared for, um, I, I realized that, you know, I'm not accomplishing those tasks. And then I, again, I'm driving home from work, feeling like a failure. Um, and everything in the military is hyped up or uh, exaggerated a bit to, to almost be, it sounds harder than it really is. Right. And, I've been to a bunch of schools and training and everything I've done is like, you know, that, that was hard, but not as hard as everybody told me it was going to be. This was one of those jobs where as I'm getting ready to go into it, everybody told me how hard it was. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But like everything else people told me about my career, it'll, it'll be hard. It won't be that bad. This met every expectation uh, in some ways exceeded. <laughs> those. 
Um, so I, I had to deal with going from a you know high performing individual who's come to work successful and being successful, and then really that success almost fed your own ego and sense of you know fulfillment, right? Uh, and now you go to an environment where I, I literally drive home every night and I feel like a failure, um, and that was hard, right? And, uh, and then it made me realize, all right, what, what's the value of failure, right? It, it forced me to be more efficient for one. It, it forced me to be more personally accountable, uh, and, and it really forced me to trust and empower those around me to to help delegate or accomplish those things. Um, so, so I think the value of failure is. is important in any for anybody in any anything in life whether it's uh, setting a personal goal or a professional goal right mm-hmm. um players they build character and they they really uh they, they kind of help guide you and, and find those efficiencies because you know uh, i think failure crisis almost necessitate necessitates innovation too right um, it for, forces you to be resourceful it forces you to to kind of uh, dig deep and, and you find out what your resiliency and you, and you find out how important those things are to you yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like when I think about failure, um, I've experienced both sides of it. Failure, when you feel like a failure, it's an identity thing. And really it's, it's shame. And then there's when you fail and you go, oh, this is my fastest path for growth. Game on. How did right. you learn to separate the shame from the failure? Oh, man. So uh, you know, I, I, this kind of almost comes back to your values or your sense of purpose, right? Mm-hmm. So, I think if you have a, if you have core, if your core values are fixed and your purpose is fixed is because you're faced with a failure, you realize that that failure, it's something that happened to you, but it's not you that, and in some ways like this failure is going to take me to where I'm actually going or who I'm supposed to become. Right. Um, and I mean, I guess that's pretty deep and and emotional there, but, uh, you know, I, I feel like those failures in a way, if your values and your purpose are, are, are strong. That, that failure, you accept that failure a little bit better, right? You take it yeah. easier, you're more, whereas when they're not, if, you're, if your values are in question, your purpose is in question, you take that failure really personal, right? And then you start to make excuses and blame everybody but yourself, or you you think there's like, oh, well, this, I failed, it's it's not meant to be. And you go on to the next project that you're, you're probably also going to fail at, right? Yeah. You're reminding me of the Zig Ziglar quote that failure is an event, not a person. It's, 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 it's an event in your life, not who you are. And, um, I'm going through some failures right now. And you talked about tying it to your values. Growth is my number one value. It's the first thing that I asked is, okay, I know I grow more in failure than in success. So how is this helping me grow? How is this, ha- how is this happening for me versus to me, which completely reshapes it? Right. But four versus two, that, that's a great way. Look. I know you've, started to experience that once you begin the journey of living the one thing, um, <laughs> while it's simple, it's not easy. You, you experience what it feels like to fail your way forward, but you get to a point where you start to achieve results. Okay. I even listened to the language you're using. You're talking about investing your time. I have not heard you say spending time. You're viewing it as an investment. And you get to the stage where you look up and realize the next step on your journey is to empower others. What has it looked like to empower the people that you work with, whether that be the people inside the office or the people on the teams to live the one thing? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, honestly, it it just feels really good. It's rewarding, right? Um, There's there's a certain part of 
you know, you read the book, you start exercising those, those principles in the book. You, you almost feel kind of um, like you've been duped your whole life, right? Like, man, this is so simple. How did I not know this, right? Or, or how nobody taught me this in school, right? Um, so th- there is kind of like this personal growth that occurs that you now feel, you feel amazing, right? And things are starting to come together for you and you're starting to see that progress, right? That, that progression. Um, and then all of a sudden, you, you know, you, you, you kind of sit back and you watch others struggle. Like when you're actually aware of it, you can, you can kind of survey a room or people you work with, or your friends or family, and you can see them kind of struggling with, um, you know, lack of clarity on their priorities and trying to do a whole bunch of things at once. Um, and, you know, it's kind of, I think starts off first because, uh, you know, you, you maybe just talk to somebody and, uh, you give them a, one little tidbit of advice, um, or provide them some mentorship and you kind of watch them be successful. And then I think that leads to larger discussions and conversations. And then, um, you know, they, they open up to, to the idea or the concepts, but, uh, it, and then ultimately you end up with a little bit of transfer of values and purpose. Right. And, um, you kind of watch that momentum grow, right? Because you know, you started doing it and then you, you bought on a follower who brings on a follower and before you know it. Um, you know, if you do that across an organization, um, you just see kind of massive, massive organizational efficiencies and growth there, right? Mm-hmm. Because now you have, instead of having one guy working efficiently towards a, a purpose, you have a whole staff or crew of people that are working towards a common goal, right? Um, and they're doing it very effectively and efficiently. That's so, right. Uh, I think for organizational growth, uh, one, it feels good. And two, it's just good for you and your business, right? When we come back from the break, Lee and I are going to talk about what it looked like for him to strike better counterbalance, how he goes about encouraging his people to strike better counterbalance so you can be more purposeful in being present with the people that matter most. Welcome back, Lee. I want to talk about the idea of counterbalance. I've been in the room with some of your people when we were having the conversation about the idea of counterbalance. And <laughs> I, I know everybody struggles with this, but it's interesting. I, I, I see it show up very strongly within your population about they are so focused on the mission on what they need to do with their team, getting ready for the deployment or coming back from the deployment and getting ready to cycle up all over again. And then there's you standing at the front talking about how to strike that counterbalance. What is the advice that you have given to your people? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we love using the term work-life balance, right? Um, that's both in the book and, you know, I think every military professional development kind of seminar course I've gone to in the past five years talks about work-life balance. And, uh, in some ways we, we, we live unbalanced lives, right? Where we should live unbalanced lives. Um, because again, if, if you're going to be successful at something, you have to put in the effort into that thing. Right. Um, but the true question really becomes is how long do you spend time on that thing before everything else, the wheels come off everything else. Uh, you know, a, a lot of the, uh, a lot, a lot of the people I work with, I talk to them about, you know, imagine a car going down the, the highway with no lug nuts on the wheel, right? As long as we keep that thing going at 70 miles an hour and the wheel straight, everything will be just fine. Right. But if we accelerate too much, or we make a hard turn. It could be uh, it could be catastrophic. Right. Um, so, so really it's just trying to get people to, Hey, if you're going to be good at this thing, or you have to prepare for this mission, that, that has to be the priority. Right. But on the backside of that, um, you know, we need you to rest, refit, spend some time with the family because 
we don't need you for one deployment or one year. I mean, we want we want to be able to sustain you over the course of a career of 20 or 30 years. And on the back half of that, I mean, whether we all like it or not, we're going to take the uniform off someday and we, we have a real life waiting for us on the back half of that. And, uh, mm-hmm. so that should be a meaningful and a purposeful life, right? Um, and if we burn people out, um, you know, what does the next 20 years of their life look like? It's interesting because from a civilian standpoint, I imagine if I was one of the people on one of your teams, and I knew I was about to deploy. I knew I was about to go on a mission where I'm constantly going to be on ops. Life is on the line. And then I imagine coming home. I imagine being so present, wanting to take the time to recover, to get my mind right, to be with my wife, to be with my kids. Why do you think this population struggles so much with prioritizing the personal life and the family when they're home? Man, uh, a lot of reasons, right? Um, but again, I think uh, the risks are pretty high. So, uh, you know, everybody takes their job serious. I think my community takes their job very serious. Um, so there's a, I wouldn't say an overinvestment into into their into their profession, but they're they're invested in their profession, right? To uh, and our identities are not our jobs, but in some ways, our identity is very much focused around this profession. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think there's, they love it. The, the, they're, it's, it's a great job. It's the best job in the world, in my opinion, right? Um, so you love this thing so much that you almost don't want to take the break. And then, uh, you know, but I think uh, over your career from year to year, you, you, you know, you're like, hey, this, this could be, this is the last year I'm going to be on a team. I'm going to live it to its fullest. So what specific advice do you give to them while they are at home, while they are not deployed? to better strike that counterbalance. Yeah. Um, so I, I have to actually go to my own failures to give them good advice. Right. Cause I didn't do any of these things uh, and, and I wish I would have. Um, so again, over, uh, I'd say about a 12 year period of my career, it was you deployed for four to six months home for six to six months to a year, rinse and repeat for 10 years. Right. Um, and, and I thought I was doing all the right things. I'm being a good husband. I'm getting, being a good father, right? I'm, I'm cutting the grass. I'm, I'm cleaning out the gutters. All the things that, you know, uh, my wife and daughters would want me to do that would make me a good husband and father. But really, I wasn't doing the things. I wasn't spending meaningful time with them, right? So I was doing all the, the husband-father things around the house, but I wasn't spending quality time with my family. And those things were more important than doing the tasks, right? I could have paid somebody to cut the grass Mm. and actually wife, right? Um, So my best advice to them is, hey, don't just spend time with your family, spend meaningful time with your family, do something that matters, make a difference. Cause uh, you know, it's, it's not the time you spend with them. It's the quality time you spend with them. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think my biggest failure, um, I remember I I was at a point uh, at the staff job I was just burned out. I needed a weekend. I needed a break. So I told my boss, Hey, I'm, I'm going to go up to DC, walk the national mall with my wife and daughter. Cause my daughter was working on a history project. And I thought going to the, you know, the history museum would be a great way to tie her school project into a family trip. So we get up to DC and I told my boss, I was going to unplug that weekend. And as we're walking into the museum, my, my work phone rings and I look at my wife and Cassie gives me this look of, you know, Hey, you said you weren't going to do this this weekend. And I'm like, hey, this is my boss's boss calling me. I have to get it, right? So, and I tell her I'm going to be in there in 10 minutes. It'll be fine. 
Uh, well, that 10 minute phone call turned into me sitting on a park bench with multiple phones out, sending a bunch of text emails and phone calls to get a, to get a task done for work. And I remember looking up and I see my wife and daughter coming out of the museum to this day. I can see the look of, uh, almost disappointment on their face. I cannot tell you what email I was drafting for work, <laughs> you know? Um, so it, you know, and, and to this day, I can almost relive that moment. I think, man, that was, that was a huge failure on my part, uh, because the most important thing I was doing that weekend was spending quality time with my wife and daughter. And, uh, and I ended up losing focus on that and doing something for work that clearly wasn't that important. Cause to this day, I don't remember what it was. Yeah. Well, at the heart of that is learning to say a very powerful two-letter word, no, which every person who's listening to this right now struggles with that. But when we talk to your people, they really struggle with it because in the military, it's in order. It's not (laughs) like you get to say no. So what advice do you give to your people to help them understand that they actually do have more power in saying no than they may realize? So that's a powerful question, right? Is that, and maybe it's not no, because you're right. At times we can't say no, right? Um, but you don't have to say no, but you can say not now. Mm-hmm. The other that is a, you can almost frame it in terms of risk uh, is another great uh, option, right? Of I can do this, but here's what it is going to cost you, or here's the effect, right? Um, if you If you really want me or us to accomplish this task, it's going to require these resources, this amount of time. And here's what you're going to lose on the backside of that. You almost, you almost give the decision back to the decision maker to, you really want me to do this? I will. Here's the call. That's right. I love that. And, And again, the reason I wanted to bring this up is this isn't, this is you in the military where people think, oh, my boss asked for this. It's an order. I have to do it. I cannot push back. And I'm hearing you reframe it. You're not pushing back. You are educating them. You are educating them on, if I say yes to this, here is what the opportunity cost is. Do you want me to prioritize this and execute? Yeah, exactly. So talk talk to us about the standards you have put in place for yourself, with your leaders, and with your people around when you are available, when you are not available, and how you have a healthier relationship with the technology that you carry. Yeah. Um, so out of my position, I'm always available, right? Um, but that being said, that you know, during the duty hours, any time of day, walk in, um, that, that, that's, that's fine. Um, but don't abuse it either, right? I'm not, we're not here to hang out and come in there for a purpose, right? Um, but, but there are certain points where everybody needs that time to rest, refit, recover, right? So unless it's an emergency... You, you shouldn't be reaching out to somebody after hours, right? Like why, why send an email at 6.30, 7.30 at night if it's not critical or, or important, right? Um, could that wait in your outbox or as a draft to send tomorrow during duty hours, right? Um, and then communication, right? Uh, everything's got to be for a purpose. So if you're shooting an email out, the title of the email for action, for decision, for awareness. Um, and then, you know, it should be a, a bottom line up front and some sort of like five W's. And, and very clear and concise because nobody wants to scroll the mouse through a 10 page email. If I need more information, I'll, I'll call you or the person that'll be working on that project maybe needs that, that much detail. I want to dive in here. Cause you say it so nonchalantly, 
almost everybody completely missed the gravity of what you just said with emails. So start with the subject line. Yeah. Uh, so again, a subject line, um, when you're working, it should be, you're working for a purpose. So you almost have to weaponize that, that subject line. Um, am I trying to get a decision, a decision out of you? If, if so, uh, the title should be for decision and whatever that decision would be that you're asking from a decision maker. Um, is it for awareness or is it, um, you know, or, or is it, a uh, for concurrence, you know? So the, the title of the email is also important. There's, a uh, you know, the two line and the CC line also have a huge impact, right? <laughs> so if you're on the, if you're on the two line, you're a decision maker. If you're on the CC line, you're for awareness, right? And I think establishing those organizational kind of, uh, you know, ground rules is important. And everybody needs to know that it's not just having the rule. It's that everybody understands the rule, right? And then the email itself, um, you know, an initial email for a decision for awareness is probably very short one scroll of the mouse, right? Um, and maybe some of those follow-on emails where actual work is going to be done, those need to be maybe a little bit lengthier, but it, you're gaining people time efficiency by just cleaning up your communication. Cause yeah. you at the, at any organization, typically their, their failures or their inefficiencies always come down to the same thing, lack of communication. Cause that lack of communication means there's a lack of clarity on the priority. Mm-hmm. So I want to dive in a little bit more. So you, we're starting with the subject line. You're being very clear for awareness, for decision, for action, and then whatever the, the topic is. So I can see before I even open it, what's expected of me. You're being extremely purposeful. If somebody's email is on the two line, it's because they need to make the decision. If they're on CC, it's because they just need to be made aware. You talked about bottom line up front. What does that mean? Bottom line up front, but essentially, you know, in one to two sentences, what are we trying to accomplish, or what is the problem? Uh, what, what do I need from you? <laughs> you know, wh- or what decision am I am I asking you to make? Um, and, and that should be that should be crystal clear to the reader, right? I think just what you captured there. If I think about the twenty percent of effective email communication, weaponizing the subject line being purposeful about who's on the two line versus the CC line and getting to the point. Bottom line up front and being really clear about what is the problem, what are you asking, what decision needs to be made and having it in one to two sentences at the very top. If people just started doing that, holy smokes, how much time do you think that saves? Oh, a ton. Probably 80% of your time right there, right? Because the 80-20 rule, you spend a whole bunch of your time getting through unnecessary information to get to the important information. Yeah, absolutely. Fast forward to where you are today. What do you think has become possible for you as a result of living the one thing that wouldn't have been possible otherwise? I think potential, right? I think I see potential in anything I'm doing these days, right? Um, Cause you, you realize if you're doing something, you're doing it for a purpose. And if you're doing it for a purpose, you want to see the potential of the growth in that, right? Um, and that is in, you guys refer to it as, as the, the seven circles, um, mm-hmm. I, as my pillar, right? My physical, mental, social, emotional, financial health. Um, so I definitely, I see potential in any one of those pillars. Um, and, and there's setbacks along the way. But if I'm doing something, I, I know that there is a goal, a path to get to that goal. Um, and I think that potential is amazing. And, in just rewarding in every way. Yeah, absolutely. What final advice would you give to somebody who they're on their journey of living the one thing, whether they're just starting 
or whether they've been at it for years. What advice would you give to them? Oh, man. <laughs> so values-based, purpose-driven culture, right? Um, if you have values-based, purpose-driven culture, it will carry you through any decision and help you accomplish any goal. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Command Sergeant Major Lee Strong from the U.S. Army Special Forces. I have a tremendous amount of respect for Lee. He's somebody that I've gotten to know quite well over the past few years. And the thing that I have respected is when I talk to his people, when he is not there, how they speak about him talking about how he is so clear on his purpose, so clear on his values, how he empowers them to go on the journey of discovering their values, their purpose, to prioritize, to not just blindly say yes because you think you have to, but to educate your superiors on the priority so you make the best decision possible. And how not only to have an extraordinary career, but to have an extraordinary life. After we stopped recording, he said, you know, someday I'm going to take the uniform off and my family is going to be there. So how do I not only fulfill my duty right now within the military, but make sure that I'm protecting the relationship with the people that matter most because that's what matters most. Based on this conversation, where do you have the biggest opportunity for improvement? What's the one thing you can do such that by doing it, everything else would be easier or unnecessary. I'll give you a few options. If you are not yet clear on your core values, head on over to Amazon, type in the One Thing Core Values deck. This deck of cards will help you get clarity on your top three core values in less than 30 minutes. All of a sudden, you will be able to, just like Lee, rattle your core values off. Then when faced with a decision, you'll be able to make sure that you take the path that's in alignment with your values and not in conflict with them. If you are struggling to prioritize as an individual, head on over to the One thing.com. Check out our Jumpstart program. It is a two-day virtual immersive experience that will take you deep into the principles, help you set your goals, and turn those into actions in the next week. And if you are a leader in an organization and want to learn what it looks like to bring this to your team the way that we have brought it to Lee's group, just request a consultation and we can line up a time to connect. If this episode has brought value to you, please think of somebody you know who needs to hear it. Please share it with them. If you're new to the show, click the follow button so all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device of choice. And while you're at it, please leave us a rating and review on your podcast player. It genuinely helps us reach more people and fulfill our purpose, which is to help you better invest your time so you can achieve extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. We look forward to being with you in the next episode.